The following podcast is going to contain spoilers along with me, just a regular guy, talking about all the things I love, such as comics, movies, television, music, and books. So yeah, proceed at your own risk. Welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host, Stephen, and today is Wednesday, December the 4th, and that is a day of celebration. For today sees the release of my new book, Then a Penguin Walked In, and Other Tall Tales. Now, I'm pretty pleased about this. This is my third book. This one, unlike the other two, is a, is a collection of four novellas, and I wanted to use the episode today to talk about the book, and even read a little from the book for y'all. So let me tell you a little bit about the book first. Like I said, it's four novellas, four stories that I had written over the past 19 years. I was, I was looking at the, the back, you know, my back catalog of stuff and, and uh, various blog posts I've written because a lot of the stuff that I write I some I would sometimes put up on my blog first or or re- release it chapter by chapter up on the blog and I started looking into some of these and one of those stories I originally wrote back in 2010. So let me let me tell you what we're looking at here. We got four stories. The first one is called Then a Penguin Walked In. The second one is called Fanboys of Doom. The third story in the book is The Undead of the Night. And story number four is called The Other Gunfight. So the first story, Then a Penguin Walked In. This is something I wrote a number of years ago. It was originally a Norman, Oklahoma story. So I couldn't find where I, the the first, you know, any dates as far as the first story I wrote or the first version of this I wrote. But it's it's got to be a, a, a decade or more ago. And I, I had this idea, I was writing some, some Norman, Oklahoma stuff, and I wanted to do a dream sequence for Norman in which he is, he's dreaming that he is working at a, a fast food joint. Because in, in this Norman, Oklahoma story, it, before, I, before he became what he is now, there was this whole idea about Norman encountering, like, basically spirit animals that told him that there's something he needs to go into this other world and he needs to do this thing and he needs to save all these people. And this dream sequence is one of these messages. And he is, he's basically in this cook aisle at a fast food place and a penguin walks in and gives him this message, right? So that, that's, it was a chapter. At one point, I joined a writer's group and I had to write a small story about dreams, about a dream. And so I took this and I, I changed the character name. He was no longer Norman, Oklahoma. It was Dominic Hanrahan. And it was just a dude having a dream, a guy who works at a fast food place. And it, he was having a dream about being in the cook aisle and a penguin walks in and, and various things. And he wakes up the next morning and, and that was it. Well, eventually I started to think about how much I would, how much I wanted to write a fantasy story, you know, the old sword and sorcery type tale. But I wanted to do more than that. I wanted to do 
if Douglas Adams was to write a sword and sorcery's tale, a, a fantasy tale, what would it look like? And so I started thinking of of books like uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and books like Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, in which you've got a character who is taken out of their world, their comfort zone, and, and literally thrown into another world. And so I used that dream sequence, and I retooled it, and it became the opening chapter of this novella called Then a Penguin Walked In, and it was about Dom- and it's about Dominic Hanrahan. He's a fast food cook. And he gets thrust into this fantasy world. He is, he is prophesized to be the one to save them all. And he's originally told this by a penguin. Now, it's not really a penguin. I'm not going to tell you what it is. But I wanted to read you a chapter from the book. This is chapter six, The Stench of Loyalty. And this has to do with the big bad. The guy that, that Dominic is prophesized to stop from taking over the world of Gund which is the, the name of the, the fantasy world. His name is Lord Hob. So here we have chapter six from Then a Penguin Walked In, The Stench of Loyalty. The dread Lord Hob, scourge of the West, defiler of the East, plague of the North, overlord of the South, and king of the nighttime world was in a bad mood. But then abject failure and acts of cowardice perpetrated by his dark legions tended to rub him the wrong way in even the best of situations. And this was not the best of situations. Lord Hobb, who had always thought of himself as a fair and even-tempered man, brooded silently to himself as he paced alone inside his command tent. The tent was exactly seven paces wide, and each time he turned to the east side of the tent, he'd walk to his mirror. It was a glorious mirror. It stood eight feet tall and three feet wide. And each time he would come to it, the dread Lord would pause and gaze deeply at his reflection. It was the only thing, the sight of himself resplendent in his white armor and black cape that kept his bad mood from graduating into a full-on rage. Being the fair and even-tempered man he'd always thought himself to be, it was uncommon for the Dreadlord Hob to progress any further, emotionally speaking, than an all-over feeling of intense annoyance. But today he feared that if he didn't get himself under control, he would go immediately from his tent and commit horrible acts of violence upon his cowardly horde. Not that he was opposed to violence, just the opposite— Lord Hobb was known far and wide for the brutal and creative ways he'd been known to inflict bodily harm upon others. But he preferred to be in charge of his emotional self when violence was on the table. If someone was to die by his hand, it would be because it was the logical thing to do, not because he was in a tiff. He paused once more at the mirror and patted at his perfectly cut and sculpted jet black hair, not a strand out of place. He smiled and resumed pacing. The Dreadlord Hob was a man who could keep his emotions in check, something he'd always felt a certain sense of pride in, most especially after rising to the title of Overlord of the South, when his predecessor, the Dreadlord Glatchington, had mysteriously died a most violent, and don't forget, mysterious death. The Dreadlord Glatchington was a man who had known about rage, having spent most of his life deep in the thick of it. Lord Hobb, Glatchington's second-in-command, had borne witness to many a foam-mouthed murder spree in which anyone in reach could find their life snuffed out for no other reason than passing by when Lord Glatchington had dropped a spoon or found his soup too hot.
It was from Glatchington that Lord Hobb had learned how not to behave, and so he resisted the urge to give himself over to the rage that skittered within reach. But still, punishments would need to be handed out. Lord Hobb would just have to wait until he calmed himself before deciding on what was fair and just. His pacing brought him once more to his mirror, and as before, he paused. He ran a hand over his strong, square chin. He needed a shave, yet the stubble made him look somewhat roguish, sure. Rough and tumble, most assuredly. Sexy, no doubt about it. Then a stench hit him that would have knocked most men flat on their backsides. But the dreadlord Hob was not most men. Besides, Lord Hob knew what the stink signified. Only an ogre could produce such a foul odor. There came a tentative scratching at the tent flaps, and the dreadlord Hobbs sighed. The sheer meekness of the act was just the fuel needed for a kill-crazy rampage, but Lord Hobb kept his head. Come, he said, his voice clear and commanding as he stepped to his chair. The chair, a throne really, had been ornately carved from a massive block of white marble and needed more than ten men, or four ogres, to carry it about with them from place to place. As the dreadlord Hobb sat upon his vast throne, the tent flaps parted and an eight-foot-tall ogre entered on cautious feet. It had skin like carved granite and wore a simple loincloth made from the hide of some unlucky woodland creature. Accompanying the colossus was the nearly overwhelming stink of the thing, which wafted into the tent on swift winds and brought tears to Lord Hobb's eyes. The amount of ground between the tent opening and the space before Lord Hobbs' throne was about six paces for a man of average height. The ogre crossed it in two. The thing went down on one knee and bowed its head. Lord Hobb tried his best to look down on the ogre in disgust, but truth be told, even kneeling, the thing towered over him in his throne. Dread Lord, it began in a voice like a small avalanche. Captain Branch has arrived. The Dreadlord and all of his lofty titles attempted a reply, but could only choke on the putrid smell that rose from the creature in great waves. Ogres make great bodyguards and soldiers for a variety of reasons. First off, at an average height of seven and a half feet and an average weight of 450 pounds, the ogre is built like a tower of iron and muscle. You stand half a dozen side to side and you've got yourself a fairly impenetrable wall. Beyond their impressive physical attributes, the ogre is a fiercely loyal creature. They aren't afraid to die, and the art of killing is so ingrained in their society that it is taught in what would be the ogre equivalent of elementary school. There's a casual savagery about them that Lord Hobb found both chilling and exciting at the same time. They know hundreds of ways to kill, and will at times use combat as a way to compete with each other over which one can find the most creative way to end an enemy's life. The problem with ogres, the extent of which cannot be stressed enough, is that they stink, like nobody's business. Ogres don't believe in soap, or water, or adding soap to water, heating it to near intolerable temperatures, immersing their tough, leathery bodies into it, then wasting away the evening with a favorite book and a good, long soak. Ogres have no word for bath or tub, not to mention scrub, rinse, or even loofah. It is said that nothing precedes an army of ogres like the stench, the likes of which can often be enough to drive an occupied force out from behind the walls in whence they have become entrenched. 
But Lord Hobb could stomach a great many things, and he often prided himself on his preternatural ability to enclose himself in a small room with three or four ogres and resist the urge to vomit. He was, in fact, known for it. So he choked back his desire to send this particular ogre off to dunk itself in the nearest body of water and found the strength to respond. Send him in, soldier. The dreadlord Hob didn't know the ogre's name, nor did he particularly want to. It was bad enough having to put up with their stink, so remembering the names of each of his personal guards seemed to him to be a little much. He had more important matters to occupy his brain. Captain Branch entered the tent with more than a little trepidation. The captain was not an ogre. While Lord Hobb could fully depend on the ogres to keep him safe or to depopulate a village, they didn't quite have the intelligence for leading others, and Lord Hobb believed in putting the right people in the right positions. Branch, the captain of the Dreadlord Hobbs' armies, was one of his lizard men, created by magic in the jungles of the south and bred for war. He wore mail over leather, but no boots. The feet of the lizard men had such thick soles that footwear was not required. Besides, their razor-like toe claws kept poking through whatever they tried to put on their feet. Captain Branch had a small sword belted at his waist, and he moved it aside with one clawed hand as he knelt. I come as bidden, Dreadlord the captain said, his eyes on the floor. Rise, captain, Lord Hobbs said, and tell me how fares the battle. He knew quite well how the battle had gone. I hear not the clash of sword nor the screams of the dying. Has the fighting stopped? It has, dread lord. The captain rose, but his gaze remained on the floor. Why, captain, have we won? No, dread lord, we are in retreat. Yes, Captain Branch, I know that we are in retreat. That was a test. I thank you, however, for telling me the truth. As a reward, you will continue to remain among the living. Thank you, Dreadlord, Captain Branch said, sounding as if he had just taken his first breath since entering the tent. Think nothing of it, good captain. Now I bid you to tell me why my army has retreated. We were winning, Branch said. Yes, we were, and quite gloriously. But then something happened. Something happened, Lord Hobbs said. Something, something unexpected. Something, Lord Hobb repeated, unexpected. Someone, actually. Pray tell, Captain, just who was this unexpected someone that caused my army, the grandest army in all of Gund, to flee before their terrible might? Captain Branch did not answer right away. Instead, he kicked at rocks that did not exist, shrugged his shoulders a time or two, and even threw out the occasional, um, before stammering out his unintelligible response. I'm sorry, Lord Hobbs said. You're going to have to speak up, old boy. I didn't quite catch that. The captain cleared his throat. It was the one, dread lord. Now it was Lord Hobbs' turn to try his hand at speechlessness. The silence hung in the air between them like a two-ton mime. Lord Hobbs stared at Captain Branch as the captain continued his intense scrutiny of the carpet fibers. The one, Lord Hobbs said at last. Yes, dread lord. That's impossible. He bore the sword of power, Dreadlord. He, Lord Hobbs said, a human? Yes, Dreadlord. He is said to have appeared suddenly in the midst of battle. He wore strange clothing, but wielded the sword. He called down lightning, and our army ran. Then Commander Chun's mission to the ancient world failed, Lord Hobbs said. It appears so, Dreadlord. The Dreadlord Hob, scourge of the west, defiler of the east, plague of the north, overlord of the south, and king of the nighttime world, stepped down from his throne and resumed his pacing, his hands clasped behind his back. Well then, 
Lord Hobbs said as the captain tore his eyes from the floor to watch his master pace. It appears that I have no choice but to take matters into my own hands. Lord, if the one has been reborn, and if he brings with him the full might of the sword of power, then I am the only one powerful enough to face him in combat. He turned to the tent flap. Guard, he called. The ogre entered, bowing. Yes, dread lord, it said. Fetch me my sword. Soul eater, the ogre said with a gasp. The same, Lord Hobbs said. At once, dread lord. The ogre bowed and rushed out on its task. Captain, prepare the army. We strike at dawn. Yes, dread lord, at once, the captain made to leave. Oh, and captain, Lord Hobbs said, stopping Captain Brance at the flap. Yes, dread lord. Ready my dragon. So that's a chapter of, well, from, then a penguin walked in. And this was a, that story almost didn't make it into the collection. The The fact of the matter is, I'm a big, I, I really enjoy it. I'm happy with what I put together. But there's being a, a longtime fantasy fan, fan, you know, the fantasy sword and sorcery type novels. I started to think that maybe, maybe the story should be more epic. It's a nice Nice, tight little story, and it leaves, it ends in a certain way so that there can be more. And that was the plan originally, was I made the the one story, I was going to do another one, and I was just going to do these these little adventures. Uh, but I started to think, maybe I should make more of a, of a you know, a, an epic novel, an epic, you know, three-part trilogy or, or five-book story. And I, I started to rewrite it, and I got quite a ways into it. I developed, I, I, I added a certain twist to the story that wasn't there before that I really enjoyed. And then I got, then I stepped away from it for a bit. And then I came back and I said, you know what? I can, I can, I can do this just a slight bit differently. I have, I have more of an idea. I have, you know, to make it, give it more weight, more gravitas. But then a few months back, and this is kind of what started this whole thing with this collection. My youngest daughter, Palin, she asks me one day, because I had, when I wrote the story, then a penguin walked in, that, that is in the collection, that version, I had printed it out, and I'd given it to Palin to read. And that was, that was a number of years ago that I did that. But earlier this year, out of the blue, she just asked me, I, I think I was talking about, uh, I think it was, I, I don't remember, I was talking about something that I was working on, or a new book I was planning, and she said, well, what about then a penguin walked in? And I said, what about it? She goes, aren't you going to make a book out of that? And I said, well, you know, I'm kind of revisiting it. And she goes, oh, I really liked it. It's my, the, my favorite thing that you've written. And I just went, really? And that just, you know, I said, well, then don't, don't mess with it. And, and, and it's not long enough at that point to become its own book. Well, let's just, let's just do this collection. Cause I also had these other stories just lying around. I knew eventually I wanted to put a collection together and I was waiting until. I don't know what I was waiting for, but finally I just decided to do it. Now, that doesn't mean that I can't go back and take the rewrite that I've done so far of Then a Penguin Walked In and turn it into something else. I mean, what I've done with it, I could easily take it and adapt it to and make it a the second, the next story in the in the series. Just because I've got it in this collection doesn't mean I can't do something different with it later on the road, but Later on down the road is what I meant to say. Anyway, so that's the first story in the in this in this book. The second one is Fanboys of Doom. And this was this was something that I would this is like one of the first things I ever wrote, almost practically. 
And like Then a Penguin Walked In, this story also started out originally as a Norman, Oklahoma story. And in fact, this is the first Norman, Oklahoma story that I wrote and finished. Originally, I wrote it in 2010 as a script for a short story to go into a comic book anthology that never happened. And since the book didn't happen, I thought I just decided, well, I'll just turn it into a into a prose story. And so I did that. But then once I started writing more Norman, Oklahoma, I started to think about how I wanted to have more of a history. You know, when I think of, when I was thinking about how Norman's story goes, here I had this one story that is it's a zombie story. It's set ultimately it's set during a zombie apocalypse. So I had to decide do I want to continue writing Norman Oklahoma stories knowing that eventually there would come a, a zombie apocalypse and I found that very appealing, but I didn't want to get in that prequel mindset where anything that I wrote from that point I knew was going to end up eventually leading into that and I didn't want that to hamper me down but I still wanted to have I still wanted the story I still liked the story and so I I basically just reworked it using a different character and it it tells the tale of a man living during it's it's post-apocalyptic the the zombie apocalypse had happened there's still zombies in the world there's not that many people left and he has found a way to bring a little joy into his life during this, you know, what is basically a a hell on earth type of life. And that is by, he's got a Winnebago that he found and he's been going to various places and acquiring comic books and DVDs and books and music and all that. He's basically built what I've called a mobile man cave within his Winnebago. So I want to read you a chapter from that one. This is chapter five and it's called Escape. The world stopped spinning. It felt like an eternity as I stood there frozen, left hand on the doorknob, right hand holding the Glock, the curse of all curses hanging there above me like a fecal-encrusted brick. All five shufflers turned to me as one. Bones creaked, skin stretched. The mood in the room shifted from the idle browsing of a window shopper to the animalistic fervor of a Las Vegas all-you-can-eat buffet. Oddly enough, the shufflers seemed almost surprised to see me, which must have been why they didn't come at me right away. I stood there looking at them, and they stood there looking at me. I'm not sure how long the six of us could have continued in such a fashion, but being one who values the life that God gave me, I broke the tension with a quick shot to the zombie nearest me. It was a woman in what would have once been called a power suit, and she went down lickety-split. Before she hit the floor, I popped off four more shots, all four connected, but only three were headshots. It took two more to clear the room, seven shots in under four seconds, five shufflers lying still on the gray carpet. I felt pretty good about myself. Then I noticed the zombies on the other side of the glass. Out on the sidewalk, I could see dozens of them, with hundreds more in the lot behind, and I had their complete and undying attention. Yes, that pun was very much intended. I holstered the Glock and turned back to the locked door. I threw myself into it only to bounce off with a curse. I looked back toward the entrance to see the shuffling mob bottlenecked at the broken front window where I had come in. That would slow them down for now, but it wasn't going to last but a few more minutes before the sheer weight of them brought the entire front wall down. At that point, I'd be up to my neck in biting teeth. Panic set in. I kicked and beat at the door, but it just wouldn't open. 
Three zombies had made it into the store and were shuffling my way while the others struggled to pull themselves through behind them. I ran toward the three shambling creatures, coming within inches of their outstretched and rotting hands. Then, before they could get a piece of me, I turned and sprinted back to the door and slammed into it. Wood splintered and the door banged open, spilling me into the hallway. I pulled myself to my feet and ran to the outer door at the end of the short hallway, flicked the locking mechanism on the knob to unlock, and threw open the door. A shuffler fell in, knocking me to the ground. It lay atop me, biting and clawing. Bastard must have heard the commotion and had been trying to push its way in. I'd managed to get my arms between the two of us as we fell, and it was all I could do to keep the thing's biting teeth from my face. The zombie's stinking breath had its way with me, and it was then that I noticed something wrong with its face. It was hard to spot at first through the decayed flesh that hung off the creature's skull, but I'd quickly realized that its face was red. The moment after that realization hit me, I could see that the red was actually face paint. Pushing the thing back with all my might, I could see that the zombie's face had been at one time painted up to look like Spider-Man. I could only hope that the painting had come before the creature had turned. Otherwise, the human race had some kind of deranged face painter on its collective hands. I pushed against the shuffler and had nearly thrown it off me when another waddled in through the back door and joined in on the dog pile. I rolled one way, then the other. The momentum tossed the newer creature off of me, but I still had the original to contend with, and his buddy wouldn't stay down long. Not to mention the horde squeezing in at the other end of the store. I took a chance and used my left arm to keep the thing's teeth from clamping down on my neck and pulled the gun with my right. I brought it up to the creature's temple and squeezed the trigger. The fight went out of it mighty quick. His friend clawed at me, pulling itself closer. I rolled away, pulled myself to my feet, and put a bullet into the thing's head. A third zombie, this one a female in the red uniform of an expendable Star Trek member, shuffled in through the open back door, and I fired off another shot, dropping it down among its companions. I stepped over her, still thinking that the alley was my best option. That idea was quickly shot down by the hundreds of shufflers that crowded about behind the store, most making a beeline for the closest living human being. That was me. I jumped back into the hall and tried to slam shut the door. The red-clad crew member lying in the doorway made that chore a bit difficult. I kicked and pushed the creature outside and managed to get the door shut and locked before any others could push their way inside. That was when I heard the moaning behind me. I'd forgotten about the shufflers at the front of the store. I spun to find half a dozen ambling their way into the hall. I backed against the door and opened fire. It was a simple process. I squeezed the trigger and zombies fell. I moved forward as I fired, stepping over the bodies as I left the hall for the store itself. Less than a minute later, I was empty, but the store had been cleared. All that remained were the masks that still bottlenecked at the front of the store, letting just one in at a time. Now I had a choice to make. Zombies ahead of me or zombies behind? To me, the choice was simple. The zombies out back couldn't get to me as long as the door held. But more importantly, the alley was bordered by a high wooden fence on one side and the strip mall on the other. I had more room to work in the parking lot. Out front, it would have to be. I inhaled deeply, then exhaled. In through my nose, out through my mouth. In with the good, out with the bad. Three times I breathed, in and out. I tried to relax and calm my nerves. I didn't quite reach nirvana, but I could deal. I ejected the spent magazine from the Glock and replaced it with the fresh one from my vest, dropping the spent one in a pocket to reload later. Then I turned to face the uncountable undead at the front of the store. The decaying horde shuffled toward me. I became a machine. Aim, fire. Aim, fire. I shot 
and the monsters fell. I fired the last shot and slammed in a fresh magazine. I'd only two left in the vest, plus the spare Glock and the small on my back. I'd managed to clear the front of the shop of shufflers, and for a moment, I was alone with the comics and the bodies. That wasn't going to last, though. I could see through the front glass wall that the hundreds of others crowding the parking lot were ambling my way. Many had made it to the entrance and were climbing over their fallen zombie brothers and sisters toward the hole in the window. It looked like Black Friday in slow motion. It was time for a Hail Mary. So that's Fanboys of Doom, and I didn't explain it beforehand, but if you were not aware, he was inside a comic book store. So I want to read you uh, a chapter from the other two stories as well, but I'm kind of running out of time here. So to round out the book, we have The Undead of the Night, which is a nor- which is an actual Norman, Oklahoma story. Unlike the others, it started as a Norman, Oklahoma story, and it continued on as a Norman, Oklahoma story. But it's a little different than the typical stories I've told starring Norman, Oklahoma, because pretty much everything that I had written up to that point If the story was told from Norman's perspective, if there was something going on that Norman was a part of, it was told in first person. If there was part of the story going on that was away from Norman, that was, you know, across town, it was another character in another state or whatever, it wasn't told in the first person. But most of it told in the first person. This story, however, while it has Norman in it, he's more of a supporting character. It's a group of people trapped in a convenience store as a group of the undead try to kill them. Now, there's there's a reason behind this. This isn't during the zombie apocalypse. It's not a random thing. A, uh, a particular person was able to resurrect these corpses and set them on this path to kill all these people in this convenience store at like three o'clock in the morning. Norman just happens to be there. So he's part of this cast that are trying to, to get out of this convenience store. Now, granted, he does take on somewhat of a leadership role because he's he's been in situations like this before, but the story is told from others. It's from other people's perspectives. They are the stars of it, not Norman. And it's the first story that I've written that I didn't just write from the seat of my pants, as they say. I'm, 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 I'm somewhat of a pantser when it comes to writing. But this one I actually outlined. I sat down and I wrote out two or three paragraphs per chapter. So I knew exactly how many chapters there were going to be. I knew how to begin. I knew how it would begin. I knew how it would end. I knew it was going to be in the middle. And then I sat down and actually wrote it. And I quite enjoyed the experience. And I'm, I'm, I'm planning on doing that going forward with, with anything else I write. But it's the newest story in the book. It's the only story in the book that has never been published before in one way or the other. All the other three stories I have published out on Kindle you know, Amazon Kindle and Kindle Unlimited just as their own separate short stories. This is the first one other than I was putting it out there on my on my blog once a week, one chapter a week, but I never finished it. I never finished posting. So I, I, I never I never posted the complete story. So this is the first time this whole story is seeing the light of day. The last story in the book is called The Other Gunfight and it's what they call a weird Western so it's it's a Western, but it's not your typical Western because time travel is involved. That's really all I'm going to say about it. Wyatt Earp, the gunfight at the OK Corral. Somebody has come back in time to do something that they shouldn't be doing during this point in history. And so somebody else has come back to stop them. That's what this story is. So those are your four stories. 
that are in the the collection that is out today. And here's what I'm going to do for all of you. So what I've been talking about for the last month is if you pre-order the book, the book is available on ebook for $4.99. That's what it was going to that's what it was going to launch at, but you could pre-order it for 2.99. But what I'm going to do for those of you who listen to the podcast, I am going to leave the price of the ebook at 2.99 until Monday. So you have today, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday to still get that ebook for 2.99. The paperback I'll be honest with you, as I'm recording this, I'm not 100% that the paperback is going to be ready or will have been ready by today, by the by the 4th. But I'm pretty confident that it is. If the paperback is out there, there it'll be in the show notes, the the link to the paperback. That is that's going to be 13.99. I really can't go any cheaper with that. But the ebook until Monday you can get for $2.99. So celebrate with me. My new book is out. I'm really excited. I'm looking forward to starting in on my next one. I've been thinking over exactly what I want to do and what I want to focus on and what story I want to I want to jump into next. And hopefully over the next couple of weeks here on the podcast, I'll be able to, t- to, to tell you what I've got coming up and what I'm going to do. But until then, everybody, my name is Steven. This is the end of the podcast. I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. I'm out. Just Another Fanboy is a presentation of the Stephen or Else podcast. Questions and comments can be directed to feedback at stephenorelse.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash stephenrorr and get instant access to the My Other Podcast podcast, a weekly show about whatever crawls its way into my tiny little mind just moments before I tap record. You can find me on the World Wide Web at stephenorelse.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram by searching for at Stephen or else. I also encourage you to subscribe to the show, leave us a five-star review, and share this episode with a friend. Just Another Fanboy is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can find that over at comicspodcasts.com. All links will be in the show notes. Good job.